God is so faithful. He is so faithful. He is mighty. He is holy. And let me tell you something this morning. He is the father to the fatherless. He is a father that is above all other dads in all the earth. Anything that you have have a definition in terms of what a dad is in your life. He has one up that dad. He has one up that thought process all the way across eternity. He is the star breather. He is this indescribable, incredible God. And let me tell you something this morning. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you this morning. And I'm telling you, some of you brought in so much luggage and baggage today. You're so clouded. Your vision is so clouded. You're standing in worship and you have no idea what's going on because you're just here. You don't know why you're here. But guess what? In the next few minutes, I hope to be able to tell you why. God is so faithful and he's after you and he's relentless and he's pursuing you. And let me tell you something. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. And you have the victory, whether you feel like it, you, you do now or not. You have the victory. Would you stand with me? Let's proclaim this scripture over our lives right now as we get into what we're going to be talking about today. Light, space, zest. That's God. So with him on my side, I'm fearless, afraid of no one and nothing. When vandal hordes ride down ready to eat me alive, those bullies and toughs fall flat on their face. When besieged, I'm calm as a baby. When all hell breaks loose, I'm collected and cool. I'm, I'm asking God for one thing, one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. That's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world. The perfect getaway, far from the buzz of traffic. God holds me head and shoulders above all who try to pull me down. I'm headed for his place to offer anthems that will raise the roof. Already I'm singing songs. I'm making music to God. Listen, God. I'm calling at the top of my lungs. Be good to me. Answer me. When my heart whispered, seek God, my whole being replied, I'm seeking him. Don't hide from me now. You've always been right there for me. Don't turn your back on me now. Don't throw me out. Don't abandon me. You've always kept the door open. My father and mother walked out and left me, but God took me in. Point me down your highway. God, direct me along a well-lighted street. Show my enemies whose side you're on. Don't throw me to the dogs, those liars who are out to get me, filling the air with their threats. I'm sure now I'll see God's goodness in the exuberant earth. Stay with God. Take heart. Don't quit. I'll say it again. Stay with God. In the verse from Isaiah, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. 
Father, I thank you so much for your word and I thank you so much for how you craft your word together and how it breathes life. Today, Father, I pray for the people who have come into this room with hearts that have abandoned you. I pray for people whose hearts who are hardened to the word, to the call. I, I, I pray for people right now who have who have situations and circumstances where they can barely, barely see beams of light coming through and being surrounded by, by just circumstances in life, God. Right now, I ask, Lord, that just a word would be released this morning. And your word is so powerful that it will knock down strongholds. It will move mountains, Father. Your word is so strong and powerful and we invite it into this place, Lord, to radically change our lives for all eternity as we grab hold of you as our Father, as the one who created us, as the star breather, as this indescribable God. We call ourselves victorious because of who you are. Be with us this morning. We trust you, Lord. Amen. Are you glad to be here this morning? Yeah. <laughs> we have been going through a season called, uh, or a, a series called Living Drenched. And Living Drenched is another way of saying living in the kingdom. And we have had the awesome opportunity to hear some people come and share their testimonies uh, with us and, and real powerful testimonies of God's faithfulness and how they're living drenched in their lives. And I'm going to share my testimony with you this morning but before I start, I want you to know that living drenched for me, living drenched for me is about me letting go of the control of my life and buying into the reality that he is my good father and I belong to him. I'm going to say that again. Living drenched in my life has been about me relinquishing control of my life and buying into the reality that he is my good father and I belong to him. I was born in Flint, Michigan. I'm a southern boy, but I was born in the north. And uh, and I uh, we, we traveled a, a, a lot through the um, through the states. My brother was born in Honolulu, Honolulu, Hawaii. My dad was in the military. And then when he was discharged, we moved here to Smyrna uh, when Nissan was opening so he could get on at, at Nissan. My mom's parents lived in Johnson City, so we were close by to, him, to them and it all worked out that way. So my life has been here in this area and in, and in this town. My parents did not have the strongest relationship. It certainly wasn't centered on, on the Lord, though we were very faithful Catholics. I remember uh, going every Sunday to church. If there was one thing that we were going to be good at, it was going to be going to church and being there on time. And so we would go to this Catholic church actually here in Smyrna. And uh, that was where I would take my first confessional. I would go into the priest's house and uh, he would uh, ask me uh, for the first time. He would say, tell me all your sins, the things that you've done wrong. And I would say, you know, well, I hit my brother in the face uh, or something like that. And he would say, good, good. Tell me more. Tell me more. And I would say, you know, I think I stole a, a candy from a jar I wasn't supposed to. And, and he would say, that's good. That's good. Tell me more. And so I started to make up some things because I really wanted his affirmation. And so if I was going to be a sinner, I was going to be the best sinner there was. And and so we spent an hour or two there just talking through all of these made up sins that I had committed. And, and I'm sure he on my behalf forgave me. And uh, aren't you glad that we can go right to the throne of grace ourselves and we don't have to go through anybody? So we were practicing Catholics. Um Probably only in the Sunday routine, but we, we did our, we did our part in doing, in doing that. And, uh, my parents' relationship was rocky. And that third grade, uh, my parents, um, 
my dad was working over at Nissan. He was working late nights. Their relationship was rocky. And my mom had uh, had relations with the next door neighbor. And he came home and caught her in that act. And uh, and I can tell you that now with confidence, without any shame, because I can tell you on the other side of the story is that my mom is redeemed and she's saved by grace. And she's con- she's right now living for the Lord, which is a testimony also of my life. Um. But she she committed this act of adultery and my dad couldn't stand it and take it. So he uh, he decided, you know, I can't be in this relationship anymore. And so, of course, a few weeks later, they set uh, my brother and I down and said, we're going to get a get a divorce. And of course, the classic comes with it. This isn't your fault. You haven't done anything wrong. All of these things, you know. But of course, as a third third grader uh, sitting there, you know, where my parents were not going to be a unit anymore. What's going on? And uh, and some reason I was able to sit there and take and say, you know, okay, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll, we'll be okay. We'll get through this. And the truth of the matter is, is that I faked my way for a long time through my life, uh, trying to act like I could make it through until the Lord got a hold of me. Um, right along the same time uh, as this divorce, just in the nick of time, and have you ever had a nick of time moment from the Lord? Uh, I'm going to tell you this father cares about you so much that he sees the end from the beginning. He knows what you're going through and he knows how to carry you. And sometimes you're going to have to wait till you get through your season and look back and see what God was doing then. But God had me on his mind uh, during that season and uh, and and he wanted me to belong to him. And so he sent Reba and Steve Morris from. Uh, a Baptist church in, in, in Murfreesboro, they came knocking at my door and they invited me to be on the bus ministry, uh, with this church. So every Sunday I would get on this bus and I would go learn Bible stories. I'd never been in a Baptist church before. I was a Catholic. So I learned about Jesus and how he had died for my sins. And in 1990, I asked Jesus to, to come and live in my heart. But, uh, what I was brought up with uh, in that church was that you you you're going to hell. You need to get saved. You're going to hell. And so uh, ask Jesus in your heart, get your fire insurance, and then you're staring at a bunch of other people going to hell. So you need to get them into heaven. So go tell them about Jesus so that they can get into heaven. And so while I asked Jesus into my heart, it was right here in my head. I knew the information, but it hadn't penetrated my heart because I had no idea that this God wanted to have a relationship with me. And so I do believe that that was the moment when Jesus did come into my heart. And I do know that God carried me through my life from that point. Um, and there's lots of many bunny trail stories that I'm not going to have time to tell you today, but uh, where I can come back and say there's evidence where God was uh, fingerprints were in my life at that time. But as I continue to grow and uh, and and not having my dad, my mom uh, had a high school, did not even have a high school diploma. So she's working at a low wage at a factory. She was concerned and consumed with just trying to make ends meet for us. And my dad wasn't in the picture. And so I felt like I had to take on the responsibility of the world and owning up to what was going on. And and really, uh, I needed but what I needed in my life was affirmation. And what I needed in my life was somebody to tell me who I was and speak to me and tell me the man that I was going to be. But I didn't have that. So what I did is I went and so I would go to church and these people would be and I would look and see how they acted and what they did. And all of a sudden I would manipulate myself into being what they were. I became really good at putting on a mask for anybody who came my way. If you needed me to be, um, if you needed me to be funny, I could be funny. If you needed me to be a cool, I could be cool. If you needed me to dress a certain way, I could do that. And I began to order my life around everybody else and what they demanded and what they wanted from me because I wanted to 
find a sense of belonging, a place where I could I could reside, a place where people would say you belong because it wasn't happening at home. There wasn't stability at my house. There wasn't security at my house. So I just I just acclimated to my my surroundings and I did that well. And so for so long, I was putting on these masks. I would just put on a mask after a mask and I became great at it. I became so good at it. I could fool the best people uh, into believing that that's who I was. So this is going on and, and I didn't really understand what was taking place in my heart, but really I was caving inside during this period of, of my life. So um, my mom moved us into uh, the house with her boyfriend and her boyfriend at the time, he was beating her. And uh, this went on for about a period of three or four years. And I got to witness it. I got to be privy to uh, his his drunken, uh, you know, outrages or whatnot. And he began to lay hands on us and uh, us boys. And and so we went through this whole process and, and I was I was broken. I understand. I remember coming in and he laid out rules and there was only so many sections of the house that the uh, we boys were allowed to be in. We could only go on the stairs and we could only be in this room. We were never to ever go into the kitchen. I don't ever remember going into the kitchen of that apartment ever because we were sectioned off. This was he made it very clear, clear that that was his house and it wasn't ours. And we were to be where we belonged. And he always put us in our place. And so I would leave that situation every Sunday with a smile on my face, go right into the church bus. I remember when uh, Reba and Steve would want to come in and visit with my parents and I wouldn't let them. I was so afraid that I would, I did not want them to see what was taking place inside my home. I was really glad to be able to hide that from, from people. Well, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired of my mom being beaten. And so I went to this guy and I told him that he she was cheating on him because I so wanted them to break up. And that didn't end very well. It ended brutally and and, and whatnot. And we were made to sit and watch a beating and, and those types of things. And I remember my mom, he kicked us out. My mom's in the car and she's looking at us just beat up and in tears. And she screamed at me and she said, why would you do that? Don't you know that we are with him because I need to take care of you. And it just broke my heart because I knew that she as a mom, she she knew that regardless of where she was with what she was doing, her, her priority at that moment was to take care of us kids. And she was going through all of this torture so that she could provide because she couldn't provide for us on the wage that she was making. So she begged him to come back and he let her. Things got a little bit better, but it continued to be the same old, same old story. And I remember somewhere around sixth grade, she came into our rooms, uh, our room uh, at midnight with some boxes. And she said, pack everything you can in these boxes. We're leaving right now. And so she woke us up at midnight. We got into the car and we took off and we went over to Murfreesboro to her new boyfriend's house. Uh, and, and we and we lived there. Her new boyfriend at that time is now uh, her current husband. And, and they are both living and thriving for the Lord. But we um we uh we lived there and uh that was during my middle school years and so I was yanked out of the school so as you notice every bit of stability in my life is being changed I was yanked out of Smyrna school I was put into Murfreesboro schools the bus that I had known all the people to go to the church I had to ride on a different bus to church everything continued to change everything continued to not be the same and I needed to control my environment I needed some semblance of control and my control was for me to adapt to who I was with so that they could they could see that I could belong. I could be accepted from them. And so 
middle school comes and I go to um, I go to Central Middle School. It's a magnet school now, but Central Middle School. And I go to those schools and there was a crowd of people there that I just started to get close and rub elbows with. And they were actually there. It was an African-American uh, crowd. And, it, and what I'm about to say, it does not say that all African-Americans act the same or are the same or anything like that. But this particular group that I was with, they used to wear these massively baggy clothes and they would be wrapping and their boxers would be coming out and their chains would be down the neck. And that was me. I started to put on those clothes. I started to make, try to get the shoes and the, and, the, and the necklace and those types of things. And I would hang out and I would be able to talk like them and I would be able to relate to their joke and their humor and all of those things. And I would, and I would go down uh, with that group and hang out. Why did I do that? I did that because they accepted me. They protected me. I was able to be the mask, but that's not really who I was. But that was just a facade, but I was able to fit in at that point. And so I would go through there and I would just trudge through and uh, my, my mom's parents passed away and they got money and they bought a house here in Smyrna and we moved back to Smyrna. So there I'm yanked again out of school and here I am back into the Smyrna school system and redefined myself once again. And then out of Smyrna school system to Laverne High School where I redefined myself again. And it's just this constant picture of instability where I would go in and I would be at the moment who I needed to be because I needed some sense of security that somebody liked me and that I belonged somewhere. Well, along this time at Laverne High School, uh, I began to realize that I could be involved in things that it made me feel good that I could accomplish stuff that I could do and do and do and, and accomplish stuff. So I think I was, I was like in something crazy like 27 clubs and I was, you know, and I was president of a lot of things and, and whatnot. And I realized that as I did these things, people really liked me. But what I found out later, it wasn't that they liked me. It, they, they liked what I could do for them. And, uh, and so, but I liked that feeling that they could count on me. And so, I thought while I thought I had all these friends, it wasn't that I had friends. It was just a bunch of people that I happened to be a benefit to. And so all of this is happening, taking place in my life. And I get a job at Chick-fil-A in, in Murfreesboro. And it was there that I met uh, the most significant character that God used person in my life uh, to help write the story and, and, and point me to Jesus. And that was Isaac Meek. He was working at Chick-fil-A at the time. Now, to me, um, Isaac was one of these dudes that was he was he was cool. Uh, he was popular. Um, people wanted to. He was funny. People wanted to hang out with him, you know, and I was like, well, that is totally not me. So I you know, this is not and I didn't even think like we would even like know each other, you know, but Isaac pursued me for friendship. And the reason he pursued me was because of the Jesus who lived inside him. And so he was able to see through the insecurities of my life and say, hey, I don't really care who you are. I, I just want to be your friend because I'm hopeful that I can point you to, to Jesus. Now, he didn't say that, but I know that that's what was going on. Didn't know it at the time. And so... I begin in this relationship, this friendship with Isaac, and he takes me over to his house. And, and I don't mean to be putting the Meek family on a pedestal by any, by any stretch, but the, that's the family that the Lord chose to use for my life. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I went over their house, and for the very first time, I saw a family unit with sincere joy and love and peace. 
And I, when I, I loved how I felt when I was in that environment. I loved being there and I saw the family dynamic work. And let me tell you something. It's not that that family is perfect. It's that Jesus is at the center of their relationships. And so what I was seeing was Jesus. I was seeing Jesus. So I would go there and I remember I would sit down in a chair and they would offer me a glass of water or a piece of fudge like they, they would typically do. And I would always say no. I didn't want to ruin what I had. I was so scared. I wouldn't touch anything. I would sit there quietly. I would dismiss myself quietly. I didn't want to stay too late. I was always walking on eggshells. But they continued to love me. They continued to love me. They continued to love me. During this time, of course, you know, I'm at high school and I'm involved in all these things. I'm working a job until nine or ten at night. I got homework on top of all of all of that. Um, and then all of a sudden it's that time of life where you're defining your identity. You're finding out who you are, all of these things. And stuff started to cave in on me. But God had a plan. So as things started to cave down uh, on me, I... Uh, I decided that I couldn't take it anymore. And I, I got real heavy hearted and I just, it wasn't worth it. And so old Nashville Highway used to be a two lane road and I got my red Cavalier and I, my plan, they were building a CVS right out here and I was going to ram my car into the CVS wall and uh, I was going to take my life. I was going to end my life because it just got too hard. I was sick of wearing the mask. I couldn't do it anymore. Well, Isaac drove this white, I think it's a Honda Civic, but it was a, it was a white car. And he, um, he and his friend Justin were going to the CD store and they pulled out here in front of the church. Same day that I'm going up here to run my car into the wall. And Isaac says to Justin, I really don't feel like I'm supposed to drive today. Why don't you drive? Just a blip moment. Nothing thought of it after that, you know, but God had a plan. And so they take Justin's car and Isaac's is there. And so here I am, just a mess. I remember crying. I don't know if I was serving. I just remember laying on the gas and I was ready. And I know that this happened all in a matter of a few seconds, but it seemed like an eternity. But I drive by the church here and I look over and I see Isaac's car. And you have to understand that Isaac was the, the person God had put in my life to point me to him. So that was significant that I saw that. And the minute I saw that as I was going over the hill... I slammed on my brakes, and this is the only time this has ever happened in my life. I heard the audible voice of God say, I am not finished with you yet. And I sat there, and I wept. And I wept, because all of a sudden, what was just something that was up here penetrated down to here. And the reality of this God came to fruition in my life. And all of a sudden, everything that I just thought, I began to feel and I began to know. And from that point on, I can stand here and tell you, I don't know how people look at you and deny this creator, this God, because he has been so real in my life. And I called Isaac and Justin. They came over and we were weeping and 
And, uh, and they, you know, they, we were talking and Isaac used to do this, uh, worship night out in the foyer, uh, right outside his dad's office and he would pull a lamp out and it would just be him playing a guitar and he invited me to that and he just really took a sincere investment in my life. There are people that God's placing in your lives, by the way, that you need to invest into. Your life is not just about having a platform to speak, but it's about relational investment. Isaac and I's, uh, conversations weren't about Jesus all the time. He just invested in me and then it pointed me to him. So we got here and we did worship and all of a sudden these, these guys, these cool, relevant, I mean, all of you would want to hang out with these guys. Some of you do, they're still around. I mean, these guys would literally come together and they would have a guitar and they would start singing songs like, I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. Oh, I feel like dancing. And they would. Imagine that you would actually do what you say you're feeling like doing. They would dance like madmen. And the joy of the Lord was so apparent. And I began to receive. And what the Lord did is he said, I'm going to lavish my love on you, Kevin. And I'm going to begin to speak truth into your life. Now that we have established my reality, I'm about to open up these doors and I'm about to usher in some new things in your life. And I'm about to tell you who you are. Let me tell you something. You are a child of the Most High God. And he has not forgotten you. And where one I felt fatherless. I am fatherless no more. He has taken care of me and he has, he has really put me in position. I am such an ordinary person. I am so flawed. But let me tell you, I, I have, I have platform. I have the most incredible relationships with people in this room. There are people, I should not be in such relationship with some of the most incredible people sitting right here before me, speaking into my life, rubbing elbows, caring about me. And I got, I'm, I'm over a school and I'm getting opportunities to minister here. I have a beautiful wife who wasn't going to get married until she figured out how good looking I was. And really she, you know, and she's, and she's bore two kids and one on the way. We have got to shut it down. And really it is, it is really something where, where the Lord has reached into my life and he has been a dad. And if you have kids, if you, even if you're a mom or a dad, you know what this love is for your kids. You want to protect them. You want to shield them. You want to provide for them. You want to help them. And let me tell you something. This God is all of that and more. And there are people in this room who need to hear this truth today. I want to shift gears for just a second. And I don't have a whole lot of time here, but listen to me. There is a cycle that we see in the Old Testament of three generations, and you see it over and over and over again. The first generation, they encounter God and they are on their face. They are seeking after God in his face because they are after his relate. They are after him, solely him, not his benefits, not anything they could give. He could give them, but after him, the person God. And they have this incredible, authentic, genuine relationship with him and they follow him and they obey because it brings him great pleasure. And so they obey him. And guess what? Because they obey him, because they follow after him, because they have a relationship with him, they begin to be blessed. They begin to be be blessed and the Lord carries them. And then they have babies and children. And this next generation comes up and they see their parents and they guess what? This next generation, they inherit that blessing. 
They get everything that their parents had and they see how wonderful their life, their parents' lives were, not because they were perfect people, but because they were after the King of King and Lord of Lords. And so what's passed down is the inheritance and a set of rules and morals and ethics. And so the second generation begins to say, oh, you know what? If, if I can be good enough, if I can walk in this straight line, if I can do good, 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 then I'll have that same blessing and I'll be able to. So the relationship then translate into a set of rules. And so they're following these rules and they're going like this and and they're and they're making mistakes, but they're saying, oh, man, I got to try again. I got to try harder. And I'm not good enough. And then they have kids. And then there's this third generation. And this third generation looks at their parents and they see that they're dying and killing themselves to follow this set of rules. And the third generation doesn't want anything to do with it. Because the meaning behind following the rules is the relationship. And the second generation didn't have the relationship. So the third one says, we're going to rebel and go get our own God. I dare tell you we're living between the second and third generation now. And youth, I have to tell you right now, there is nothing better that you can do than to get on your face and seek a relationship with the Most High God. It is not about rules. It's not about how good you can be. So many of you are living in a spot. Look at me, youth, right now. So many of you are brokenhearted and wounded and living in a spot right now because you have some type of demand that you placed on yourself or the world has placed on you to be perfect. And I'm going to tell you right now, you are not going to ever be good enough to receive the love of the Father. The love of the Father is available to you without anything that you have to do. It is a gift to you and all you have to do is receive it. And once you receive it and you get in this passionate, incredible, genuine relationship with the Lord, then it will be your joy to walk in obedience to Him. And you will begin to see things happen in your life that will be supernatural. You will begin to take the mantle of leadership that you've been called to do and you will rise up and you will lead generations to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords if you will just seek His face. That's all it takes. You don't have to be good. You don't have to. And I know you're wounded. I know that you are past brokenness. You are past wounds. You are past down hurt and all these things. But guess what? It doesn't have to stay that way. There came a point in my life where I had to say, God, I want to forgive my dad. I have to forgive this hurt. I have to forgive what was passed down to me. And God, I want to invite you into this place of fathership in my life. And you know what? He came right in and took over. He came right in and did for me what nobody else could do. And I'm here to tell you as a standing testimony of his faithfulness that he is not finished with you yet. He has so much for you. He's got things to, he, he is the breather of stars. Some of you need healing, healing this morning. Morning and you're going to walk out the door without healing because you're not coming to dad. Some of you are poor and need and in need right now. And God has something for you this morning, but you're going to walk out the door because you haven't encountered dad. Dad says, come to me. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. If you need healing, come. He just wants you to come and then he's going to lavish on you. All you have to do. Some of you are in the pig pen. Some of you have been so messed up and so screwed up and you've been trying to be so good that you just said, forget it. It's not worth it anymore. And you're in the pig pen and you're too afraid to get up out of the pig pen because you're afraid you're going to be exposed. You're afraid that he's going to do something in you to, to show other people that you're wrong. And you're afraid that people are going to turn their back on you. But let me tell you something. When you put God above everything else, everything else falls into order. Let me tell you something. Before I had the Lord, I had no friends. Well, after I had the Lord, 
despite my shame, because I am a total mess right now. I have so many incredible relationships. I am so messed up. I was supposed to meet Justin for coffee a couple weeks ago. He said at Starbucks for an hour. I totally forgot about it. You know, he didn't walk up to me and say, man, what's up with that? I can't believe you did. He just said, man, lots of grace. I know what's going on in your life. Listen, people will walk with you and offer you grace when they know who you're serving and who you're living for. Let me tell you something. This life is messy. Your life is a mess. Your life is a mess. Don't try to parade around like you got it all together because we all know you don't. We've been out in the foyer. We've been talking. We know you ain't got it together. So today, 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 and I'm being so serious, especially to you, today is a day of change. Today is a day for you to receive. Now, there's people in this room that things are going okay. And what you're saying, you're saying, man, this is such a, this is a good, this is a good talk. This is a good for, good for the people who are going through things. You have a responsibility and a job because you are Isaac to somebody today. You are somebody, you are in somebody's life. There are broken people. And let me tell you something. I love what Alan shared during first service because he's an elder. You think the leaders walking around here are just, <laughs> we're just perfect. Just walking around, got it all together. You got to be out your darn mind. That is not, that is, couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, I am sometimes going through the most severe hell because I know that I'm pointing people to Jesus and there's a real breathing enemy out there that's out against my life. And guess what? On top of that, I have people in my life who would not want to see me succeed at anything. People are just looking to see me trip up and fail. But you know what? I've got some friends in my life that are holding my arms up during weak moments because they know the same God that I do and they're trucking right along with me. And those are the people that you're supposed to be walking with. Those are people you're supposed to be doing life with. And let me tell you something. It all starts because we have the same blood running through our veins and the same father. You need to understand today that you've got to relinquish control. You've got to relinquish control and you have to buy into the reality that he is your father and you belong to him. Would the worship team come back? You guys stand. I want to read this scripture to you as you're standing. This comes out of Isaiah. Lord gave me this uh, in the wee hours of the morning. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget a baby at her bosom? And have no compassion on the child she is born. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. He has not forgotten you this morning. He has not forgotten you. And I don't know what you're going through, what you're stepping through. Some of you might be in a place of contentment and complacency. And you haven't felt him in forever. It doesn't mean that he's not there. It means that there might be something in your life that you need to shift or change. And changes only happen when you take a step out. He'll meet you. He'll do the rest. This is what the incredible thing about our God is, our dad is. I read that story of the prodigal son and I love the part where he's coming home and he is rehearsed. That would be so me rehearsing, saying, okay, what am I going to say? What am I going to say to get out of this? What, how am I going to say, Lord, could you just forget? Can you just make me a slave? And the father hiked up his clothes and he took off running. And it was not dignified for a guy to run at that age at that time. And he took off running and he grabbed his son because he turned around and he came home. You have a dad who loves you. And some of you need to come home this morning. The altar space is going to be open. I want some prayer warriors to come down. Some of you need to come down here this morning. Because you need to be reminded that you haven't been forgotten. 
some of you need to come down because you're going through some stuff right now. It's a season right now in your life and you have no idea what to do. You don't know how to dig out and you need to be reminded that your dad's in control. Some of you need to come down on behalf of some other people that you're walking life with because you're supposed to be the Isaac in their life. And some of you just need to come up to the altar and get down before the Lord and say, fill me up, Daddy. I want to be in your presence. The altar's open right now. It's your choice. You can stand there or you can come and receive. Completely up to you. Come now. Come now. I've been captured by love I can't explain. Now you have me and I'm forever changed. I've abandoned everything I've ever known. Now I surrender, my life is not my own. I